When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. You say you love me and you're thinking of me, but you know you could be wrong. You say you told me that you want to hold me, but you know you're not that strong. I just can't do what I've done before. I just can't beg you anymore. I'm going to let you pass and I'll go last. Then time will tell just who has fell and who's been left behind when you go your way and I'll go mine. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly. And joining us this week to talk about most likely you go your way and I'll go mine from 1966's Blonde on Blonde is musician Carmeg DeForest. Hi, Carmeg. Hi. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for being on the show. Before we get to this uh, pretty famous song uh, in the Dylan canon, I mean, I got to ask you, how did you become a fan of Bob? Well, I'm, uh, I was uh, born in 1957, and I can't think of a time I wasn't aware of Bob Dylan songs. I remember Blowing in the Wind was a, a camp uh, favorite. <laughs> you know, I did people... People would play it around the campfire, and I would be uh, listening to the radio. I grew up in Los Angeles, 93KHJ, played Mr. Tambourine Man by the Birds, and It Ain't Me, Babe, by the Turtles, or Cher, or somebody like that. <laughs> and uh, and Too Much of Nothing was uh, Mamas and the Papas, I remember that. And I knew kind of of Bob Dylan, I think we had a, a book, my parents got a book through the book of the month club called great songs of the 60s and there were a few dylan songs in there and <laughs> listened to that and then there was uh but then and as i i went to a boarding school for high school an all boys boarding school a fairly small school so that's like having like a hundred older brothers <laughs> mm. and there were a lot of people who were into into dylan there so i would hear hear songs in dorm rooms and uh there was that book too the lyrics i remember like thumbing through that book and just being fascinated by these songs but i don't think i really became a fan until like a like a hardcore dylan fan until college i was into kind of americana music i was a i was a big deadhead i was okay. like, totally into the grateful dead and but other um, other like kind of Americana music, um, like Commander Cody and his last Planet Airman, and but I was into uh, the band too. And then one of my roommates had a Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits Volume Two, and I remember liking that. And then I just thought, well, I saw Planet Waves, and I had that as an eight track when I was a teenager. <laughs> but I was like, I was like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick this up. Uh, cause I know I like the band and I'm kind of interested in Bob Dylan. And then that's, that's what hooked me. Uh, that's just a tremendous record and it sounded great and the band sounded great. And then I, at that point I was also becoming an artist myself. And that was, uh, so I got interested in song writing and, uh, it just, came in like that and then the summer I think it was the summer of 78 so I was a little behind the ball in terms of the releases but that's when that's when I got blood on the tracks and I was doing 
a workshop. Uh, my original, my entree into performing arts was I was uh, studying stage directing at UC Santa Cruz, and then I was, but I was doing a workshop with Spalding Gray, wow, uh, the monologist, and he was he was getting directors. He was ostensibly teaching a directing class, but really he was getting people into creating their own theater pieces and looking into their lives. And that was, um, so that was how I, it was that summer. I was like, I was like having this like huge growth spurt as an artist, as well as taking a much deeper dive into into Dylan and and that that just that just continued uh, through uh, over over the next few years and I went backwards and forwards so at that point I I think Desire was the last last release and I became fascinated with that and then Sam Shepard who was a theater artist had gone on the Rolling Thunder tour and wrote mm-hmm. a whole diary about that. So I read that, and Ronaldo and Clara came out, and so a lot of what Bob Dylan was doing right at that zone also appealed to me as a theater artist. Mm-hmm. And then I, I played the ukulele for fun, and I had you know I had like a a little band called the Honey Tones, and but then as I started <laughs> learning more Dylan songs and liking that, and then then I started writing songs and uh when i graduated from college uh i just i had moved to san francisco at that point and i decided just i wanted to like be a punk rocker and <laughs> uh in in my own kind of fashion <laughs> and so i just started playing i just started uh writing songs that I, that i would perform solo on the ukulele at punk rock clubs so wow that's that's how it all <laughs> that's how it all that's how it all came together. But uh, yeah, I w- at that point, I was totally aboard with Dylan, though. As I was finding my own voice as an artist, I I kind of uh, left Dylan uh, alone a little bit. And then, and this was during the 80s. So that's kind of an easier time to leave Dylan alone. <laughs> and, and then I, uh, but, and then, then I, I came back to him. Uh, in um i i i i kept track of what he was doing but i wasn't i did i didn't get sucked in until uh i liked the i liked the folk records he did in the early 90s Mm -hmm. and then it was uh it was really the the turn of the century stuff that got me aboard again he got his hooks back in you so okay yeah uh I, I okay now I you you I, there, there's so much to respond to with what you just told me. I have to ask you what was it? I mean, this is not related to the show, but what was it like being around Spalding Gray? I mean, he seemed. I was a big fan of his, and I you know we know that he unfortunately took his own life at some point. Yeah. So I imagine he was a fairly tortured individual. But what was he like to he, to kind of work with? He was he was very easygoing. You wouldn't you wouldn't know that about him other than he had he had. He he started out as an actor in this very experimental troupe called the Performance Group that evolved into the Worcester Group in New York City, and 
he decided he wanted to make his own theater uh, pieces and he wanted to examine his own life through theater. Oh, that he did. <laughs> and that he did. And yeah, and, and his initial his initial projects and the kinds of things he was working on when I met him was very, uh, were very elaborate. He kind of, he kind of pared down to doing just one man on stage, mm-hmm. telling stories. At the time, he was doing much more elaborate pieces in, in uh, collaboration with Liz LeCompte, who was his um, partner, as well as one of the directors at, at the Worcester Group. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with, like, Swimming to Cambodia and Monster in a Box and things like okay, that, which yeah. were just him, just him at a table telling stories. Yeah, so, but, and he was very... He, we, he was just very encouraging to me too. So, you know, I just really appreciated that. And I think we just kind of caught each other at a good time for me to really be mentored by him in terms of developing my own, my own voice. I had a huge crush on Sissy Spacek at the time. And (laughs) and so I, I did a, I did a, I ended up starting in his workshop and then then later that year making it into a longer piece called the sissy spacek project that involved like recreating a dream i had about her and all the, yeah, all sorts of <laughs> that's a great name for a band really by the way the, the sissy yeah, spacek know, project be, yeah. <laughs> that's a great band name <laughs> it, it be, for sure definitely <laughs> uh and then it was funny because then in it was Let's see. I think it was 1982, and I had started. I I moved up to San Francisco. Dirk Dirksen from the Mabuhai Gardens had heard about what I was doing in Santa Cruz and invited me up to do a do a theater piece at his venue. And so that's that's kind of where I dug into the punk world, and and then after doing that, which was a lot of work and not much reward and, hmm. uh, you know, relying on a lot of other people. That's, that's kind of when I thought, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm just going to play my ukulele and, <clears throat> and, and work on songs. And Spalding Gray was in town doing a performance. And so we met for lunch and he, he was explaining to me, he said, I'm, I've like totally simplified what I'm doing. I'm not doing these elaborate theater things. I'm just, I'm just telling stories right now and it's really it's really working out and I went to see him and I saw them but it was just kind of funny like we kind of were on the same path. Mm. I I remember one of his movies I forget which one of the two I just mentioned but he mentions uh and I I said I mentioned this on the episode when we talked about the song uh he mentions the uh, Bob Dylan song Sarah in one of his one of his shows cuz he talks about that he lived down he lived down the hall or below, I think it was a woman who played Sarah just on a loop, like twenty four hours a day, and he was he was oh, being yeah. dri- driven mad by this woman who only had this just played the one song just over and over and over. One song. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> he he. I I heard him do. I heard him do a piece where he talked about um, getting high with some people, and 
and they were listening to Blonde on Blonde. Oh, there you and go. He said, and he said, I, I knew that the dope was really good because it seemed like Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands was going on forever. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, that's, you know, oh, yeah, so accurate, going, yeah. I had that, and, and, uh, and then that kind of, uh, you know, he, he was late, later to the, you know, they, they weren't contemporaries, but... But the kind of bohemian life that Dylan documents in Blonde on Blonde is, you know, very much, it seems very much connected to what the the crazy theater artists in in, in Soho were doing, you know, in the, yeah. in the 70s. Too, now you, so. ma- you mentioned uh, Ronaldo and Clara earlier. You didn't happen to see that when it came out, yes, did you? Yes, I did. I you saw, did? Wow. You, so, the- so you were the one. <laughs> I saw the original. Yes, I did, and that was um, yeah. I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, I mean, another big influence in my becoming a total uh, bobcat, as you call them, was um, I had, I had, uh, I had met and fallen in love with, and you know, was involved with. Um, a dancer named Kate Foley and she was really into Bob Dylan. So we would, I, she had records that I didn't have and I had records that she didn't have. And so just, you know, it doubled, it doubled what we understood. And, and we went to Ronaldo and Clara <laughs> together. Wow. And that was, and, and, uh, and then, and she like, she actually related it to, what I had been doing in this Issy's Basic project. So there was like a, it was just in terms of, I was having trouble, you know, I was having trouble like piecing it together, but she like had this like vision about it that then, that then helped me like navigate it in a way that, yeah. I so, wish yeah. I had had somebody to do that for me when <laughs> I saw it. But you go, now, did they ever? What was the version that you saw? If you can, was it like a, the two-hour kind of truncated one, or was it like was it early on? And I think initially when he released it, it was the long version, and then they cut it down. Yeah, to, this was nineteen. So this would have been fall of nineteen seventy-eight. Okay, and I remember it being quite long. I don't know. I don't know if it had an intermission, but wow. it was, it might have, it wasn't, I mean, it was showing at, you know, one of, you know, kind of an art house. Kind sure, of, place of course, yes. And where they normally showed double features. So it was, it was, it was, I think it was the long That's version. Ext- wow. And it had That's great, it had great, you know, it had great concert footage. Yep. yep. But then the whole ridiculous story and that he was playing Ronaldo. Joan Baez is Bob Dylan. And, and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, no, it was Bonnie uh, Hawkins played Bob Dylan. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've only seen it once and I, I, I was, the version I saw was a dupe of a dupe of a dupe on VHS. Oh, yeah, okay. And it was like looking at it through ice cubes. I mean, it was just terrible. And I, 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 I said through all of it, cause I was like, it's Bob. And I, I owe him my attention, 
but I was like, what is this? And yeah. that, that said, if some theater showed it, I would go see it. I would want to see it. I would be like, all right, let me give it a second chance yeah. on well, the big screen. It, right. if they ever and did also, also with, with decent sound yeah, you know, exactly. and projection. Exactly. That's yeah, a, it would that's probably amazing. go. Now, I was, because I'd seen Ronaldo and Clara, I was kind of disappointed with the, with the Scorsese reworking of Rolling Thunder. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was, uh, I mean, this is off topic again. Right. <laughs> well, it's, that's the nature of the beast here when you're talking about Bob. But by the way, we have to, I got to ask you, have you seen Bob live? I assume you have at some point. I have. Yes. I've, 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 uh, unlike some of your guests who've, you know, seen him a lot recently, I've, I've not, I've, I've not had that kind of volume of seeing him, but I have seen some great shows i actually went i actually saw him i was 16 in 1974 with the band at the felt forum oh not the felt forum the um the los angeles forum the england forum it might have been might have been one of the shows that was recorded for um before the flood before the flood wow Uh, okay so i saw that show i wasn't like totally into I didn't, you know, I was still becoming aware of Bob Dylan. So I didn't, you know, I didn't know every song and stuff, but it was a great concert. Uh, And the whole, I mean, I think the album, you know, captures it as I remember, as I remember it. I don't remember, I I guess the band kind of did a full set Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then it did have a little, it did have a little solo. Mm Mm-hmm moment where you know it was also right at the height of watergate so of course right. the yeah the line in in don't think twice it's no not don't think it's twice, it's all right ma yeah. it's all right ma yeah that the president must stand naked just that was like thunderous applause in the, <laughs> in the arena there <laughs> when was the last time you've seen him the last time i saw him was was 2010 okay um, he was at Bumbershoot here in in Seattle, and I saw him. Um, and I saw a, well another special show I saw was at was at the Felt Forum in New York. I was our our school did an exchange with the girls' school back east. In so my spring quarter I was in, in back east, and I went to see. Uh, we had a field trip to New York. And there was going to be this concert. It was like a benefit for Chile. Bob Dylan wasn't even advertised on the bill, but I was really into Arlo Guthrie. He was part mm. of on the bill, and it was right after uh, Allende was assassinated. So it was a it was a big benefit. I think Phil Oaks and you know it was like mm-hmm. all the usual suspects. But then Bob Dylan was there too, and that was like really really exciting. Uh, wow! And he just he. He only played one song by himself and then played in the encore. I mean, everybody was completely plastered drunk <laughs> at the time. <laughs> but, uh, um, I mean, I'm talking about the performers. Um, yes. But yeah. 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 But anyway, there's, you can, you can read a review of that show in the New York times. Uh, but I was, I found it. I, one of the songs, the, one of the songs that I suggested we talk about was North country blues. Right. So this was a song about, so that's the song that when he just came out by himself to finally play and they, you know, waited after trotting him out, trotting him out at the beginning, 
they waited for him to, uh, they, of course, held off till the very end to come out. And he just comes out alone and he sings North Country Blues and he, and it's just like, now that's an unusual choice. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> but, <laughs> not what the crowd really wants to hear, but of course, Bob's really never been yeah, terribly no, yeah, concerned and, and about everybody that. Everybody was happy. And then, but, and then he gets to the line. It's much cheaper down in South American town where the miners work almost for nothing. And it like, it like all came together. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> no, and like it was that was, um, um, and this is why you know the CIA helped <laughs> I, um, Pinochet <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, stage his coup, and uh, you know it was without without doing anything more than performing the song. Like Bob Dylan really had some impact. <laughs> He's got a line for every occasion, you know. He does, I mean, yeah. he's got, he can always find some song in his catalog that's like, yeah. "Oh, that'll be perfect." Yeah. Okay, let's do and then that. I, I saw him with the Dead. I saw him with with uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and then yeah, I've seen him. Wow, you've really I've seen some him, really big big gigs. I caught him. I caught him like I I caught him. Yeah, I caught him three times in the eighties, and then and then once in the nineties, once in the aughts, and once in the tens and wow. so i'm hoping the rough and rowdy race tour makes it to seattle because i, I think it. that's virtually guaranteed I imagine <laughs> I at this point the I tour would. is going through 2024 how's he not going to stop at seattle at some point I mean, good <laughs> right. lord jeez well yeah i mean there's you know a lot, a lot of things that could stop an old man <laughs> well unfortunately not I, not not him presumably but okay all right yeah. That most um, so, that that is amazing. Um, you've you have seen some really you've, yeah. you've you've linked up with him at some really big moments in, in uh, his yeah, career. Yeah, no, I feel I feel I feel very I feel very fortunate to to have seen him and um, yeah, and loved it, loved his music and really his uh, his twenty first century oeuvre is I just do uh, as you know as as much as the 60s and 70s stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Now, you mentioned earlier one of the songs that you you did want to talk about at some point was North Country Blues, but we also on your list was, of course, this song. Yes. Most likely, you're go, you're go Your Way and I'll Go Mine, and I quoted the earlier, the opening verse to it. So why why this one? Why did you want to talk about this song? Well, this was um, th- this was kind of the... Uh, one of these things is not like the other because the other the other <laughs> songs I, I you know I, I felt like I really had something to say about and m- you, most likely you go your way and I go mine just got brought to mind my friend Chuck Prophet and his wife Stephanie Finch posted a uh, performance they were doing at home of Buddy Holly's song that has that line in it. <laughs> What's the name of the song? It it you don't it doesn't matter anymore. I'm not I'm not sure what song oh, that is. You go your way and I go mine. Done everything and I'm sick of trying. I found somebody <laughs> new. Anyway, it has it has the it has the line, and so I I was hearing that song and I 
and then that made me think of, of course, the Dylan song. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, yes, that's where Dylan got that line from Buddy Holly. <laughs> and so that kind of like took me down a road of like, oh, that would be a fun song to talk about. And I hadn't really given it much thought until you said that that was the song that you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. So I should ask you the same question. <laughs> well, uh, well, okay, yeah, fair enough. Uh, well, one of the one of the things that... Uh, and we've covered this again on other episodes. I, I need to stop saying that because, of course, we have. we've covered everything on some other episodes. There's been almost 200 right. of these things. But one of the things that's always so interesting to me about Blonde on Blonde is that the songs seem to kind of veer back and toggle back and forth between wonderfully sweet devotional romantic songs and then kiss-off songs. Yeah. You know? Okay. You've got Sad Eye Lady of the Lone Lands and you've got I Want You, which are these wonderfully kind of devotional tunes. And then you've got... Uh, sooner or later, one of us must know, or this one, which is like passive aggressiveness. Yeah, at, at, yeah. at its most, I mean, just this kind of shruggy. Most likely, you're you go your way, and I'll go mine. And then the other thing about Blonde Bun that I find kind of interesting is that for all of its uh, artistic achievements, of which are many, of course, yeah. uh, Visions of Johanna and Stuck Inside of Mobile uh, and Sad Eyed Lady Lowlands and things like that. I also think this album, more than a lot of his other uh, albums, contains some of his most like infectious pop hooks, you know. Huh. Yeah. And and that it's almost like I, I read uh, in a, in a book uh, I forget which one it was, but I, I read an interview. It was a, well, not an interview. It was, it was a piece with Don Was. Don Was was talking about working with Dylan on Under the Red Sky, uh-huh. and and he said that at some point they were working on a song. And Don was came up with this idea for an arrangement and he brought it to Bob and he, he thought it was beautiful. Uh, Don was did and he gave it, you know, he's Bob, what about this? And he plays it and he could tell Bob was just kind of like, no. And he said, Don was his perception was he says, Bob feels like if, if, if something sounds like it's trying to please, he's not interested. And to me, a lot of the pop hooks of blonde on blonde, sound like that they sound like pop songs in the best possible way and this song especially is so goddamn catchy yeah you know and it's amazing that the lyrics are so f off kind of way and yet that like i feel like i could listen to that all day it's so catchy it's unbelievable have you heard the have you heard the Mark Ronson? I have, remix? yes, yeah, yeah, the remix. Yeah, the, the, they did a video like, for of all things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The video's silly, kind of, <laughs> but it's uh, cute, I guess. But the, but the, I, lo- I, I love how it sounds too. You know, updating it without it going, you know, staying true to. Yeah, they're still using Dylan's vocal in it and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, so, yeah, and and some of the. I mean, I don't know. I think I think. I'll, some of the instruments anyway he uh there is a trumpet on there mm-hmm. but it, yeah that's interesting what you're saying about the pop the pop thing because uh, one thing that i one thing i mean i also find blonde and blonde to be a special record you know and i guess i'm not alone in that <laughs> no but he's uh uh it's fun because his vocal his voc you know his vocal is very unmelodic on this record he's not it's the his vocal on the record is the is the voice that people who do dylan imitations do <laughs> yeah. right yeah because and you know really as 
as uh, hardcore fans like us know, Dylan has a kajillion voices, and yep. he's used you know he's used many of them over the years, and it's not it's not just the one that's like this, but this <laughs> is his blonde on blonde voice, right? And <laughs> and so that belies the pop, but structurally, I think that Dylan was experimenting a lot with with pop structure. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he 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 had not written a song with a bridge <laughs> until um, "Ballad of a Thin Man." You know, that's one song on uh, uh, Highway sixty one revisited. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then in "Blonde on Blonde," there's there's a bunch that have bridges, and there's uh, I think he really was looking at kind of like more classic pop structure mm-hmm. as a way. I mean, he drew a lot on folk and blues for uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of his, a lot of his work up to that point. And I think he was becoming, he was really spreading his wings, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I mean, another musical thing that you say that uh, you, I mean, you mentioned you, don't think about the music of things. So the song is in in the key of G, and but it but the the first line is A minor. So that's the to a music from a music theory point of view, a harmonic theory. That's like the harmonic. That's the minor two that it starts on. Okay. It starts on. Okay. It's 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 a fairly like sophisticated kind of like you know, Cole Porter, Irving Berlin kind of level of of doing it. It's not something you hear in, in folk and blues music huh. much to do that. And yeah, it's, uh, and, uh, and of course this song has a bridge, which as we work our way to the lyric, we can, we can cross that bridge when we come to it. <laughs> oh, uh, no, so, so as Bob has has said that he does not read or write music, he doesn't yeah. know how to do that. So you're saying that uh, a lot of his songs are musically pretty sophisticated. How does someone, again, forgive my ignorance here, but how does someone go about writing something sophisticated like that if they don't know the sort of basic structure of it, or or do does he know and it's he just arrives at it in a different way? Uh, well, I think I can actually speak to this really well because I'm my own journey into becoming a songwriter was very much as a self-taught musician and building songs out of chord structures. And so, as you as you learn songs, if you're not if you're not a schooled musician, you learn you learn what the chords are that then you can pound out on a piano or okay. strum on a instrument and then you sing the melody over that chord structure and then you, and um and then it's just a matter of of as you learn more songs you 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 then you know you you get other ideas about how to experiment Gotcha. And how to okay. how to do things. So I think it's, um, you know, and I think Bob Dylan's, you know, underselling himself as being a sophisticated musician, as mm-hmm. he's like, oh, you know, as 
he's want to do <laughs> pretty much <laughs> everything. I mean, he's 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 never a reliable narrator. No, well, yeah, that that, that that's story. her that, that's her damn sure. Uh, and uh, and also he's he's working with these great musicians. So he, you know, I mean, here he was in Nashville working with the cream of the crop, some of whom were probably also self-taught and some of whom probably went to music school. And he, you know, so he hears things and he hears like, you know, he probably heard like, oh, that's cool. It starts on the two, (laughs) that sort of thing. And then Bob being the magpie and the, and also the huge sponge that he is probably just soaks that all up and, you know, at some point finds a way to, you know, figures out a way he wants to use it. Gotcha. Now you mentioned the musicians. I, I want to credit them here because yeah. like I said, I think this tune is so memorable and it's Charlie McCoy on trumpet, Kenny Buttry on drums, Jerry Kennedy, Joe South, Wayne Moss on guitar, and uh, Bill Aikens on organ, Henry Strzelecki on bass, along with guitarist Robbie Robertson. And then on piano is Hargis Pig Robbins, who passed away just like a week yeah, ago know, at the time of this recording. That. Yeah, yeah. So that's a, yeah, that's another good reason we're yeah, and, up now. But, I mean, to me, the engine of this song, just that driving beat is so, again, catchy. And I don't – I would never suggest that Bob uh, writes songs or does tunes in, in, in this kind of – bloodless way because i just don't think he operates like that i don't think he op- i don't think he could operate like like that even if he wanted to but it almost right. feels like blonde on blonde is like okay i'm gonna go do visions of johanna i'm gonna do this seven minute thing you know that's just way out there and oh i'm gonna put one song on an entire side of a record i'm gonna do that too but i'm also gonna offer some really catchy tunes you know yeah. like almost throw columbia records a bone a little bit and give them some songs that could be singles. And uh, you've got Rainy Day Women and I Want You and Just Like a Woman. And this song, which was a single, it was released as a single. It didn't chart very high, but it was a single. It almost feels like that. Like he's almost like, okay, I can do, I'm going to go do Stuck Inside a Mobile, which is going to run nine minutes. Uh, and then I'm going to do, you know, again, Saturday Lady or whatever. But then I can do this with, with just fun bopping to listen to. And again, it doesn't require a whole lot of interpretation of the lyrics. It's pretty straightforward. You know, it's a kiss-off song. It's you know, yeah. the, the, the second verse is, you say you disturb me and you don't deserve me, but you know sometimes you lie. You say you're shaken and you're always aching, but you know how hard you try. Sometimes it gets so hard to care. It can't be this way everywhere. And I'm just going to let you pass. Yes, and I'll go last. Then time will tell who just fell and who's been left behind when you go your way and I'll go mine. And again, I love the way he sings um, when he says, uh, you know, sometimes you lie. Like, he really, yeah. that is like, that way you were talking about, that is like the Bob Dylan voice people do when they want to make, you know, imitate him. Right. Right. But the, but the, and the, and the musicality of it still comes through, even mm-hmm. though he's singing very dry and, you know, not emphasizing the melody at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah. And it's, uh, Sometimes it gets so hard to care. Like that's like <laughs> that's like brutal. You know? Yeah, I mean, imagine somebody saying that to you. You know, I think like, it's I think it's interesting because Dylan isn't much of a a, a chorus guy. Mm-hmm. You know, you usually his thing is 
to have, I mean, uh, oftentimes it's to have, um, have just one line that repeats at mm-hmm. the end of a song, like Tangled Up in Blue. Or This one is one of the most elaborate in terms of stuff that repeats, because mm-hmm. it kind of has like a, the verses have like an, like an A section that you say, you know, you say you disturb me and you don't deserve me, you know, and then it, and then it, it shifts to another, that's all, that's all musically, those, the first four lines are, are, are minor two to the, the, the to the one, to the A minor to the G, and then, it, and then it goes to another minor chord, um, sometimes it gets so hard to care, and it goes off in another direction, and then, but the, and that direction resolves with something that gets repeated every time, which is, <laughs> I'm going to let you pass. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I'll go last. And then, on top of that, then there's the, so that's kind of, it's not really a chorus, but it's repeated every time. And then, then the chorus, I guess, would be, then time will tell who has fell and who's been left behind when you go your way and I go mine. But it's very linear too in a way hmm. it's 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 interesting i <laughs> i uh i like the um i i like that it's also the title is most likely you go your way and i'll go mine but he he never sings i'll go mine and he never says most likely no <laughs> it's just like it's like i mean then he does that you know the 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 insertion of adverbs uh in his song titles on this record is i'm there's um, all over the place in this one. Yeah. Yes, Absolutely. Right. Sweet Marie. And obviously five believers, things like that. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, and the, I guess I, I was, as I was thinking about this song in preparation for our talk, I was, I was enjoying the line. I'm going to let you pass. Like, cause there's this real like sense of competition in this, mm-hmm. in these two verses. And, and that he's he's going he's like going like head to head with her and then says so at this and he's feeling fed up and now he's you know his kiss off is you go on ahead i'll i'll go last or i'll you know i'll come in last and then but then then he's saying then the twist is that actually he's just going a completely different way, <laughs> right? You go your way and I go mine. And uh, He sounds like he's being generous, but it's not really. Right. No, it sounds like he's, you know, oh, no, it's okay, okay. And then, uh, no, not really. He's not interested uh, really in being kind of nice about it at all. I like the bridge when he says the judge, he holds a grudge. He's going to call on you, but he's badly built and he walks on stilts. Watch out, he don't fall on you. I love that kind of warning. There's that kind yeah. of, uh, you know, uh, can I get like, all right, oh, you think you're doing okay, but the, the judge is going to fall on you. And, but, you know, if there's, I think if there's, you know, this is off the top of my head, if there's any single character that probably appears in more Dylan songs, I think it's a judge. I think there's more oh, yeah. judges in Dylan songs than any other doctors, lawyers, cops. I think judge is, is the ultimate figure in a Dylan song. Right. Yeah, it is. And it's, it, I was thinking, I was, I was wondering too, I was thinking about that. Um, I mean, I guess this, I mean, 
it's funny. This is a song that I haven't given a lot of thought to until um, until you came along and I suggested we talk about it without really <laughs> having given it a lot of thought. But the and so I was wondering about the is the judge in the judge is is this case you know might be the narrator the judge who holds a grudge like that's like isn't that the guy who's singing like but he's he's removing himself from from that character uh in a oh, way see, that's interesting i always took it as the judge is just like overall the the feel like the the self um like the i always took it as he's singing to this person and the judge is is standing in for feeling okay about this like kind of you're like, you're feeling okay about what you did to me you're judging yourself and you're get you feel okay but don't but it's badly it's badly built and it's going to walk on like it's almost like you're feeling okay about what you're doing to me now but this is all going to come down on you later on that's yeah, always how i sort of took that it. works like his like i mean and if we're looking at this as a as a race or as a contest like you know there's there's there, you know, there would be a judge, right? Like mm-hmm. if it was like a, a swim swim meet or something, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and and that that the judge that the whole that the whole structure of of who's kind of you know say you're doing okay is badly built, like it's mm-hmm. like false premises and mm-hmm. right this this whole this whole idea that you've constructed for yourself. Yeah. And why this is okay to do is flimsy and it's going to cr- collapse on you at some point. Uh, and so then the song, the final verse is you say, you're sorry for telling me stories that you know, I believe are true. You guy, you say you got some other kind of lover and yes, I believe you do. And then this is the line. You say my kisses are not like his, but this time I'm not going to tell you why that is. I'm just going to let you pass. Yes. And I'll go last and time will tell who's been left behind and you go your way and I'll go mine. I mean, the, you say your kisses are not like his, but this I'm not going to tell you why that is. That's just, again, a marvelous turn of phrase. And again, I love his ability to bring in, and there's, you know, again, it, like I was saying, the judges are all over Dylan's songs. Triads are all over Dylan's songs as well. There's always triads going on. But this person, this third person, is only really referenced here. And yet, yeah. to me, that you really get a sense of it. It kind of reminds me of... um. She's your lover now, where he talks about the 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 the, the his lover's right. new lover, and he talks about you know he keeps saying everything twice to me, and it's it tells you so much about the dynamic without really getting into this third person at all. Yeah, uh, I I, I want to back up a little bit to mm-hmm. that because we have a bridge, and and oftentimes just in songwriting you know a good a good bridge has has um two ends on it right like Mm -hmm. it's it 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 takes you somewhere and so um uh the bridge so the third verse there's like a different it's a slightly different perspective of the first two verses Mm -hmm. um because in the in in the in the first two verses, he's he's calling her a liar, basically. Uh, you know you could be wrong. You know you're not that strong. You know you know you know you sometimes lie. 
you know how hard you try, like you're faking it, like, mm -hmm. or, you know, that sort of thing. And then, and then, and then it, it changes to where in this third verse, she's, uh, it starts, you know, she's, she's sorry. And he's like, he's, he's, he's really seeing clear the moving on that he talks about in the chorus. He's now ready to talk about it in the verses. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and you say you say you're sorry, and also she's being apologetic. She's not being assertive at all. She's, mm -hmm. you know. And then, uh, but then, um, I don't know. So I just th I just thought that was that was interesting. And the and the 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 switch um, of him talking about himself and his attitude doesn't start. It's because he's talking about what she's saying and what she does and what and and so that happens in the first line. You say you're sorry. The second line, and then then when it switches to the the B section, usually that's when he goes he goes. I I just can't do what I've done before. Or, hmm. um, sometimes it gets so hard to care. He's talking about himself, but but in this one, the the slight twist is he stays on her. And waits waits a line before he switches it to himself. This mm. time, I'm not going to tell you why that is. <laughs> and that's a that line is just like totally out there. Like this time, like there've been all these other times, maybe that he has told her why that it was, you know. Mm -hmm. Or like it's like I mean, just something's you know, it's like the, the sense of history, or I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to I don't know what to to make of it, and I don't think there's any one meaning but just no, no. how it how it how it feels I, um, I, do, I do want to ask you as a songwriter have you ever written a song with parentheses in the title uh i i have i've i've done it once because uh, i'm I've always wondering why do why do musicians do like what is that what is it about that that they're like no no you gotta have the print you know <laughs> you know bob's done it a couple of times i always wonder what what is that impetus to say why can't the song just be called most likely you go your way why why do, why does it have to have the parentheses right. or, or and i'll go mine not in parentheses right it's yeah like, yeah why why like, can't it just be a whole a complete yeah. thought why does it have yeah to have in this case i mean in this case it 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 kind of supports the 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 tone of the song you know because because and i'll go mine is is almost like an afterthought mm -hmm. or it's like, mm -hmm. like I, and, uh, that because he's saying, um, cause that he's, you know, he's talking about just being left in the dust by this person, mm -hmm. uh, for, you know, up until, up until the, 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 um, up until the chorus, right. Mm -hmm. Every time, I mean, every time he's like, uh, I'm going to let you pass. I'm going to, you know, yeah, let you pass and I'll go last. <laughs> but uh so and yeah i'm not i'm not i mean i don't think there's a standard i don't think there's a standard uh reason for putting parentheses in in the song and i i'm trying to think of other songs 
I mean, uh, he's done it. You know, it's all right. I'm only bleeding, and I don't believe oh, yeah. you, Shaq's Like we never have met, and high right. water for Charlie Patton. But it to me, it, it's uh, those songs that do that so call attention to themselves. Yeah, that I always wonder why do why does a songwriter feel compelled to throw that yeah. in? You know, well, the one, the one time I did it is I wrote a song with a I, I gave it a very uh, obscure title that that relates to a character who comes up in the third verse who's not would not be otherwise known but that then the then the the hook line is that's entertainment in the song so Mm -hmm. it it goes um so i i the songs the name of the song is eddie prince but then when i titled it i also put that's entertainment in parens so i kind of did it just it wasn't to, it was just to give it, have it make more sense. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. All right. And then, uh, but uh, the, uh, a song, a song that, a song that I've covered that does that is uh, one for my baby and one more for the road. Oh, okay. One more sure. For the road is in Perez. All right. Right, right, right. Why did, yep. you know, why did Johnny Mercer. <laughs> Decide to do that. Who the hell knows? You know, <laughs> like it's like yeah. I always just uh, I always just notice it. I'm like, oh, what's the yeah, what are the parentheses yeah, over there? No, I mean, and, um, and I think that it, I think that that one, I think the Johnny Mercer song is kind of like this Dylan song, where it's like yeah, it's yeah. like the it's like the it's like I'll have you know one for my baby and one more for the road is like this in the song itself. It doesn't it all makes sense, but in the in the title, it's like you know, yeah, I've got, I'm having another one too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh, well. So uh, live wise, this song has been performed 336 times. Not you know too terribly much when you consider how long the song's been around. It did not get any uh, live debut until the Dylan Band tour in 1974. Yeah. It debuted in January 3rd, 1974. And I wish I could remember where I read this. Uh, one of the you know number of Dylan books I read, I didn't, not Paul Williams again. I don't remember who it was, but I remembered somebody reading someone's reaction where they said they had not been able to go to the shows, or maybe the the, the Dylan band shows had been had come and gone before this person had been around. But he bought before the flood, and this song opens before the flood, and of course he sings it very differently. And this person is recalling putting the record on and hearing you know Bob go. You know, he, he comes out and is you say me, love me, think you love me, but you know you could be wrong. Like he like he stretches it out, yeah, and yeah. the guy, the guy writing it says he remembered thinking was going, Jesus, are they all going to sound like this? And it was like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> That's what right. that tour's going to sound like. You <laughs> know, I was it. like, okay, I just yeah. rocking them up. So yeah, that's great. Um, so, I mean, you must have seen this live, I guess, right? When you saw, yeah, I did, band. and I wasn't familiar with the song at the time. So it wasn't one that I, I recognized, but mm-hmm. I, you know, remember, you know, my memory of the concert starting off with a bang <laughs> and, you know, and then uh, piecing it together afterwards. And uh, that uh, that was the song that he opened with. I mean, it, I read about it and then we heard before the flood and they kick off the they kick off the album that way, too, with their. Yeah their opening song. And that's, that's, I think that's a tremendous version. Yeah. Oh, it's, I mean, super high energy. Uh, You said you saw him at the forum, right? That's where you said you saw him. Yeah. The forum in Inglewood, 
California. Uh, so it was that, according to this, that was either February 13th or February 14th in 1974. Yeah. Uh, which is just going to be, depending on when people listened when this episode drops, just a day away from when this episode's coming out. This episode's coming out on the 12th. So oh, okay. uh, kind of an anniversary there. So he did the song on that tour. And then he set it aside, and then he brought it back very briefly for the Rolling Thunder review. It made one or two, actually just one, uh, one live outing during the Rolling Thunder review in 1976. And then he left it alone again until 1989, and he played it a lot through there. And then it's essentially always, you know, made recurring appearances in the set list. And then, of course, it was a staple of the Rough and Rowdy Ways tour, the first leg of it, and I saw him do it. Oh, and I cool. saw him in Philadelphia. So it's obviously a song he feels uh, that he likes to return to because it is essentially never really gone away for too long f- for the last 30 years. It's, you know, it's been part of the set in one way or the other. Yeah. Well, it is that, you know, it, he, it, I mean, it is that kiss off thing and it's that kind of scolding thing. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think the, I think the effect it had with him opening that first tour that he, you know, that was his first tour in a long time was, was that, you know, the, the, you say you love me and you're thinking of me, but you know, you could be wrong. He's, you know, he's, he's addressing the audience. Mm -hmm. Like you, you've come to this concert, you know, thinking, thinking you know who I am and you love what I do. (laughs) But, you, you know, know you could be wrong. You could be wrong, yeah. <laughs> and the, I mean, the band sounds so tremendous on that, too. The, you know, when I say that it that it, that it has this kind of very sophisticated songwriting thing of of starting the line on the on the A minor on the minor second is uh, you don't really notice it. You know, you don't. It doesn't sound like jazzy or old-timey or anything you know like that on blonde and blonde it just fits right in mm-hmm. and that's that part of it is because of of the hook and the harmonica and trumpet hook and the and the groove and stuff and then the band double down on that because not only does it have that that figure breaking between the verses but after the bridge robbie robertson does a solo which is a which is a twelve bar blues. Mm-hmm. He does it like a twelve bar blues solo, and then that resolves on the on the hook, and then goes into the last verse. But it's just I was I was revisiting the before the flood, mm-hmm. and I read some somewhere that he often, or at at some point on that tour, he would also close with it. Hmm. He would like close with the same song he opened with, which <laughs> just from a. Uh, you know, again, from a theater point of view, <laughs> that's a that that's a good you know kind of you go your way and I'll go mine. The show's over. You go your way and I'll go mine. I'm going back on the tour yeah. bus and we're right off to the next town. And you go whatever it is you're going to go <laughs> right, uh, yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just have that idea of it, like you know, beginning when it ended. I don't think he did that in in L.A. though. But in L.A. too, he was doing two shows a day. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? That's a yeah, that's a, I that's know. a lot of effort. That's yeah, I don't know how you don't burn yourself out on that second show after you've, you know, unless, unless on the first one you kind of keep it in reserve a little or something. But, uh, but yeah, that seems like an extraordinary 
mental and physical effort to do a full concert and then do another one a couple hours later. That's but I mean, I know that the demand for tickets was astronomical. He hadn't been on the road in, you know, in what, six years, seven years. Yeah. So it was huge. And then he had just had a bunch of, you know, planet waves had been out and stuff like that. And this song appears on biograph and it appeared on the Dylan set in 2007. So it's always, you know, it's, I, I mentioned it was a single, but it didn't, it really was not a hit in any, uh, you know, in any sort of way, but it's a song that is, you know, lived on and it's famous. Right. It's, yeah. it's a famous song. And so it's, it's obviously something they keep putting on these collections as like, Oh yeah. One of the standouts of this period of his career. Right. I know. I think that it is, it isn't, you know, I think like what you're saying, it doesn't like strike, you know, it strike the people as being like particularly deep or, you know, it's certain it's, but it's still classic, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Completely. Absolutely. And now I'm wishing I looked up, though I don't know, I, the, he, I, 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 I'm, I'm recalling an episode of The Rockford Files where <laughs> Rock, uh, Rockford is with this, uh, he's, his client is this kind of uh, hippie, woman who uh is you know fed gets they butt heads a lot you know as as that i don't know if you're familiar with the show it's oh absolutely yeah i was about to say that was about every fifth episode of the rockford file (laughs) yes no yes yes uh, yeah that was yeah it was pretty pretty formulaic but but she she quotes she quotes that line to him. Really? Time will tell just who has fell and who's been left behind when you go your way and I go mine. Oh, wow. You know, oh, I've so. seen almost all the Rockford files. I don't remember that. Jeez, I'll have to, next okay. time I, I go through them again, I'll have to yeah. pay extra attention I just, to that. I, I, I remember it, and, you know, maybe it was some other show like that. I mean, if, uh, yeah, I may be eating my words here. Okay. All right. Wow. I yeah. Remember it, I, I remember it as, as the Rockford as the Rockford Files, I was, okay. you know. I, I will say, getting off that Rockford Files, the all-time best TV theme ever. I will, yeah. I will, I will <laughs> book no one. argument on this, <laughs> on on that particular front. So, well, Carmig, I mean, wow, thank you uh, so much for coming on to to talk about this song. I mean, again, you've had an extraordinary history with Bob. Uh, just, you know, just anyone who got to see Renato and Clara in, in the theater. I mean, I think Bob himself owes you something because <laughs> there weren't a lot of people that did that yeah, but i mean that's that you've seen a lot of amazing I, stuff Santa in them Cruz, the theater was there yeah and we didn't you know i didn't mention uh, uh just real quick i also saw that i also saw the 89 tour the uh where he did his vegas thing wow so we can talk about we can talk about that some other time that's that's, other t- absolutely that, that was a that was a that 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 was that's a whole other <laughs> that's a whole other thing but it was it was really inspiring i mean that it was very, um, the idea of theater and the concert being a show, mm-hmm. and it was, yeah, it That's was, a- uh, that was, <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's just um, amazing, as you know. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, so before we wrap, before we wrap up here, uh, I have a, a question that I've been asking people. I started up a new question that I'm throwing at people. And so I'm going to give you this one, which is if there is any album that you could magically sit in on the sessions for what Bob album uh, would that be? What, what would you love to be a fly on the wall to, to see get made? Well, well, I'd be happy, happy to 
be there for any of them. Uh, the uh, another side of Bob Dylan where he he did the whole thing in a night. Right. That, that might that might be that might be fun just to be like there and just <laughs> doing song after song and not you know I mean I presume that you know there wasn't a lot of time for talk and mm-hmm. and all that but then you know that I mean his something like together for life you, you know where David had Gogo was there and they're just you know having a great time like that sounds like that would be fun to watch too and the interplay of the musicians or new morning is another one that i think is a special <laughs> a special record that seems like that was just a special session but i don't that's just is how i hear it i don't know the history of it as much so all right well that okay. said you're you're supposed to just name one but that's oh, okay you name three you're <laughs> cheating a little bit but me. okay I'm everybody kind of i gotta sorry. i gotta draw the line with future guests so that people don't think they can start naming six albums it's one yes. you gotta pick okay. one you have a okay. time machine and one it only goes to one machine, year time machine one okay i'll go i'll go to 64 okay and is that and go and and just be there for the night to hear him lay down the entirety of him and Tom Wilson another, get drunk. And... Side of, yes. And Tom Wilson, right. I'll sit next to Tom. Carmen, go get us some more Beaujolais. You know, there <laughs> yeah, you go. So, right. All right. So, all right. Fair enough. No, he Good. wasn't using that voice then though. No, you know, it was not. So, uh, well, that's my default Bob Dylan voice. So, well, Carmen, uh, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really yeah. enjoyed talking to you. Why don't you tell people Likewise. where they can find you out on the internet? Okay. Well, my name is spelled, my first name is spelled C-A-R-M-A-I-G. And if you, and so if you just Google it, you'll get me and some weird Gaelic texts <laughs> that you wouldn't be able to read unless you know Gaelic. But the but so you can. I mean, I there's videos of me performing on YouTube, Bandcamp. If you search Carmeg on Bandcamp, you'll get a record that I made. If you search it on Amazon, there's another record that I made that's called. I shall be released, named after a. Mm. Actually, the record now because it got reissued was is called "I Shall Be Re-Released." <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Facebook is generally where I uh, chat with people on social media. Though I have, and that's um, again, just search Carmeg. I'm the only one there mm-hmm. that name. And um, then on Twitter, there's a there's a Carmeg was already taken, uh, and so I, I'm, I'm another Carmeg on Twitter, <laughs> at another Carmeg, and on Instagram, I think that what happened with Instagram was I tried registering it and I screwed up, but then I, I made the name unavailable to myself. <laughs> so I'm, I'm Carmeg, Carmeg underscore the director's cut. On Instagram. <laughs> oh, but, the things we have to deal with in twenty twenty first century. <laughs> I know exactly, no. but really, if you just Google Carmeg, you'll you'll anyone will find me, and there's a lot of. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Uh, well, thanks everybody for listening. Of course, you can find back episodes of the show on our website, firewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice, and then finally, if you want to support the Firewater Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com/slash/fwpodcast, and there you can unlock various rewards. One of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice. 
So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, George Doherty, Joaquin Meckel, and Paul Ruther for their support of Pod Dylan. Very much appreciate it. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. You don't have it? That is perverse. Don't tell anybody. You don't own fucking blonde on blonde. It's going to be okay.